right, let's get into it. Welcome back to the Intervention Podcast. It's Nick here with Levi and Steve. And today we're going to do some article readings around Palestine and the ongoing genocide in Gaza and aggression in the West Bank, which we should highlight. Just before we get into it, how are you guys feeling? How are we doing with all this? Had a good conversation with a family member, but other than that, it seems to be going about as crappy as ever. Yeah. I mean, I haven't talked to really anybody but you about it, so <laughs> I try and avoid it with most of the people that we know because I know what their opinions will be. But yeah, I mean, just what I have followed because work sucked for me recently, but yeah, it's just fucking depressing. Yeah, it's tough. I was telling you, Steve, and I was telling Levi before we started recording, but maybe I can relate this. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out, I guess, best how to narrow some focus down when it comes to radicalizing because I've given up hope on reaching some people. And I think time is better spent just bringing people that are engaged on a human level that care, that have been out in the streets, that have been to events helping to try to bring them along politically and on this issue and educate them more. Cause I really do think there has to be some modicum of good faith and curiosity for people that may be bad on it or not great on it, but to even pull them along further. I mean, I just had some really, I don't know, just disgusting interactions yesterday. We were flying outside of a local rep event who is bad on this, won't support a ceasefire, just continues to bring up these Hamas atrocities, which I know we're going to talk about in one of the articles. Um, so we're kind of getting people as they're going in to this event, like, hey, can you talk to him about a ceasefire? Some people ignored us. Some people said, yeah, we'll do it. And other people were just grotesques, you know? Basically, the line would be like, well, I'm not going to do that because I feel the opposite of how you do this, of how you do. So like, you know, we're asking people like, okay, you know, once it's clear that like they don't want to engage in a productive conversation at one point, I'm just like, okay, so how many more Palestinians need to die? There's 17,000 dead, 7,000 children. Again, this was as of yesterday. Yesterday was Saturday the 9th. So God knows where we're at right now. So what's enough for you? Somebody responded, well, when they release the hostages, I said the hostages that are getting killed by Israeli bombs. Is that what you want to happen? Another person said, well, the, the Palestinian people need to take responsibility for their problem. Of course, he means like the resistance, right? Just all distilled down to Hamas. And I said, oh, so the, the children getting killed, this is on them? This is their responsibility? Two billion people starving? Yeah. He said, well, their parents. I said, you need to get the fuck out of my face right now. <laughs> go, go to your event. <laughs> like, I, I, again, like that kind of person, I, I am... I have no patience left for this. I mean, it's if you cannot change your worldview on this after you've been confronted with these statistics, because these people knew the statistics, they knew what was going on, at least these people that were obstinate and they had their heels dug in. And, you know, this was a rep that he fancies himself, he paints himself as a progressive liberal. And you know what? Some of these liberals. <laughs> just about Nazis on this kind of shit. I mean, I swear to God, like, I don't, I don't know what else. I don't, I don't know how else to paint it. I don't want to beat around the bush anymore. Like anti-human. No, there's just a complete lack of moral integrity or anything approaching humanity left in a statement, which claims that there needs to be somehow 
more bloodletting. I think it's worth stating that we're recording this on the 10th of December, where there's been at least 17,500 Palestinians dead. I mean, 17,000 people, even on the lower end of the estimate, that's an incredible amount of death. How much more could you possibly want if your end goal is anything other than the utter eradication of a people? How much bloodletting can satisfy these people? I don't think any amount. If, if it's not enough now, I mean, again, it's just like, it's almost just a statistic. It's not, it doesn't matter to these people. Yeah. That's the question I've been posing to people that have pushed back on the ceasefire. And you just ask them like, well, what do you think the end goal is? How many people would be enough? And if they don't have an answer, then I ask them if they're comfortable with the idea of indefinite eradication of a people. Mm-hmm. And if they have an answer to that, you have to ask them if they're comfortable with the concept of genocide. Because if you follow that logical path, that's what you're arguing for. And I still like to think most people are not comfortable. They just haven't thought it through. Or they're intentionally restricting their own conversation to get away from that argument. To just say that it's somehow just, that the, it will work out in the end. I, I can't put myself in that headspace, though. Because the, the concept of justifying that many... in on its face, innocent death is just unfathomable. I mean, I think it goes to a few conversations we've had in the, I don't know, in the past, one recent and some older. And one of them was we had, I forget if it was a Mark's podcast with Mike, when we had a conversation about like, how do you radicalize people? I think you need to find something that directly affects someone who is, you know, a liberal or who is not inclined to think the way we do. Because that's the only way anyone's going to think material about anything, is if it directly affects them. And the other conversation, the one we had with Joe about propaganda, you know, this is an, a topic that certain Americans have been propagandized their entire lives about Israel, right? So I think it's hard to get some people away from that. Mm-hmm. On the dragging some people away from, you know, something that doesn't directly affect them, I was telling Nick this morning, you know, my wife and I went cycling in California over Thanksgiving. And um, there's this image of Californians as like this, these, you know, lefties or, or liberals, not lefties, but liberals. And like, it just showed me like how disgusting a lot of these people are. Like they may say, quote unquote, the right things, but they don't believe half of it. Like the, the homelessness and like the disgust on people's faces when they see homeless people and like the unwillingness to help and... It was just, you know, it's really depressing when you see it right in, right in your face like that. Because, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I think we do influence people uh, that we talk to. But, um, you know, when, when you just see how disinterested people are in topics like what's going on in Palestine or just what's going on in their own neighborhoods, it, it, it's a little disheartening. So, Yeah, we need to strangle liberalism. I love the uh, 1966 Phil Oaks quotation. In every political community, there are varying shades of political opinion. One of the shadiest of these is the liberal, an outspoken group on many subjects. Ten degrees to the left of center in good times, ten degrees to the right of center if it affects them personally. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. You hear a lot of nervous laughing after he says that in the crowd. I can imagine. Yeah. The other thing, just to kind of bring this back 
to a positive light is that I will say is that comment that I made, that story was for a scant few number of people, like two Mm -hmm. or three people that I talked to. I've talked to so many more that have come through rallies and forums that we've done here locally that may not even be perfect on this, but at least again, like I said, are open to learning more and want to learn more and have found the right side of humanity on this issue and are pushing themselves to be better. And there's a lot more people that I've interacted with on that side of things, like out on the streets. So I guess my point was that I am going to focus on those people. I am not going to, I don't have the patience or the capacity to convince people that are dug in on this two months down the line. Right. Nor is it really worth the effort. All you're going to do is potentially drag yourself down to an emotional level that it's just going to feel defeated. And reinforce their positions. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, Mm -hmm. like it's probably just like a self-reinforcing thing. Well, that fucking lefty yelled at me like, you know, I must be right. Right. Or it's it's somehow like a badge of honor that they upset somebody because they know their politics are deranged and have no basis in reality. So it's all about feeling. Right. So if they see you get riled up, that's a win on them. Yeah. So a little learning and (laughs) self-reflection. A little bit of therapy here for your ears. Want to jump into it? Yeah, let's get into the articles. So this first one is from Mondo Weiss. It's an opinion piece by Jonathan Ophir, published December 8th, 2023. Worth noting real quick that Ophir is an Israeli based in Denmark. Denmark. Interesting. It's another place that's going through some horrible changes itself. Yeah. I used to think the term Judeo-Nazi was excessive. I don't any longer. Subtitle, I used to think that Yeshua Leibovitz's term Judeo-Nazi was too strong to describe Israel, but today I feel differently. The late professor Yeshua Leibovitz applied the term Judeo-Nazi back in the late 1980s when he referred to former Supreme Court Judge Meyer Landa, who effectively legalized torture by that description. He made his argument strongly, quote, The state of Israel represents the darkness of a state body where a creature of a human form was the president of the Supreme Court decides that the use of torture is permitted in the interest of the state. And this is the same Supreme Court that people were wondering why the Palestinians weren't going out and protesting with the Israelis to protect the courts. Back to the article. I took it as a kind of moral exaggeration. It was bad. Palestinians were being tortured systematically, but somehow I thought, we're not quite as genocidal as Nazis. But today, I feel differently. Yesterday, Jerusalem's deputy mayor, Eral King, tweeted a photo of over a hundred naked Palestinians who were kidnapped by the Israeli military in Gaza, handcuffed and sitting in the sand, guarded by Israeli soldiers. King wrote that, quote, the IDF is exterminating the Nazi Muslims in Gaza, end quote, and that, quote, we must up the tempo. If it were up to me, he added, I would bring four D9s bulldozers, place them behind the sandy hills, give an order to bury all those hundreds of Nazis alive. They are not human beings, not even human animals. They are subhuman, and that is how they should be treated, King said. He ended by repeating Netanyahu's biblical Amalek genocidal reference, quote, eradicate the memory of the Amalek. We will not forget, end quote. Jesus Christ. Hey, man, um, these pictures are horrifying as well. 
You love how they use the word Nazis. I mean, the notable Nazis who were the ones, you know, getting carpet bombed by the Jewish forces of Eastern Europe, right? That lived in a concentration camp. That's That was the power dynamic there, wasn't it? Like, what the fuck are we talking about here? I mean, it's, it's used because of the historical reticence of the Jewish past. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all it is. It's the most extreme form of argumentation based purely on an emotional connection to an historical event that Jewish people would remember and have a distorted concept of that because they're Jewish, they're incapable of repeating the Holocaust unto others. It's truly disturbed. It's a disgusting misuse, abortion of history. And I mean, I want to be clear here that, yeah, like this is a quote from a mayor, right? The mayor of of Jerusalem, yeah. Yeah. Occupied Jerusalem, right? Which is considered a stepping stone office to prime minister. I believe at least two or three prime ministers in the past were mayors of Jerusalem. Right, because you're on the front lines of like the settler occupation of the West Bank at that in that position in East Jerusalem. Well, it's the occupation of Jerusalem technically, but yeah. Right, right. You are the occupation. You're right. You're on the front lines of that. I guess this is the point that I'm saying. It's like you're in the heat of it. Mm-hmm. But like the other thing is we have to square this like this is this guy's sentiment that he put out there. But then I squared that with the polling that I think we discussed in a previous episode, which indicated that only like 2% of the population wanted less bombing or a ceasefire. Mm. Some many thought it was just enough. Some more thought they needed to do more bombing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. Like, what do you do with this society? Because again, I don't think that this is an aberration. I'm not saying that every Israeli feels this way, but like, I think a scary number don't entirely disagree with this when everybody should condemn a statement like this. Like, so what do you do with that society? Well, you posted an article, which we're not going to be reading from the cradle. That's just the headline, I think is enough. Nearly 500,000 fled Israel since 7th of October. The country is becoming more entrenched because those people that have any desire to make it safer or more livable are just leaving. And their immigration numbers have plummeted. It's a society that's digging in on the death spiral that they've created. To your point, I don't, I don't know where the society's going if it's not going to pull itself out of the spiral. That's what makes it so infuriating when people bring up Hamas and the depravity of the Palestinian people. Like, is this the world that they want to live in? Like, I, don't, I don't think they've really had a hand in creating their own world. That's the point. This is the world that they're living in created by the occupation. The occupation. You don't yell at the prisoners to make the prisons nicer, right? That would be insane. Yeah. No, it was a prison break. October 7th was a prison break. By any logical definition. Well, Israel called it a, quote, Hamas roundup. The men and children in these photos, as young as 13 years old, were doctors, journalists, shopkeepers, and other civilians who had sought refuge in Anwar schools and Beit Lahe. They had been arbitrarily kidnapped and separated from their families. That's a UN institutional building. A school, no less. Because Hamas, right? Everything is Hamas. Everything bad is Hamas. Because they find these Hamas men, women, doctors, journalists, and children, right? Because they find them in a UN building. That is the basis on which they go in and say that the UN is tied to Hamas. They have the audacity 
to go up there and criticize the UN. I mean, and again, the UN can't do shit on this apparently, right? Because the US has veto power, but at least rhetorically, the world is saying that, hey, we want a ceasefire other than these two fucking fascist psycho states, the US and Israel. But like they have the audacity to go in and criticize the UN on this. The UN, the organization where they know every single one of their installations because they're providing the information for where every single UN building is, who's occupied there, who's there. So there are no mistaken deaths, invasions, or attacks on UN territory. It's all intentionally targeting civilians. I mean, if the UN can't stop this, this is a much broader point, and I don't want to stand on it for too long, but like, Again, the the UN is ostensibly purposed to uphold self-determination and stop the resurgence of a Nazi-like fascist state project, and it can't do it. No, I mean, in a lot of ways, you would say that's its sole purpose for existence Mm post-World War II was to stop the creation of another Holocaust or another Nazi Germany. I mean, it's it's failed many times in the past. Right. When's it ever succeeded in upholding self-determination for people no you're right absolutely i'm just saying this is yet another exposure and i think more people are seeing this now than ever answer your question though steve i think uh a lot of people would say the creation of israel (laughs) see how that's turned out now king's tweet had been reposted by middle east monitor and was apparently just over the top for x as it seems to have been removed by the platform. Hmm. That's got, it's got to be real bad if it's actually being removed and not uh, vaguely left. But not to worry. This morning, King tweeted again with the same photo and others of naked Palestinian boys and men on trucks, this time opening his post with a biblical quote referring to Amalek, perhaps in order to confuse the algorithms. He quoted from Deuteronomy 25 and 19, quote, When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land, he's giving you to possess as an inheritance. You shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. Still, King found it necessary to emphasize the current relevance, lest it be too vague. Quote, Hundreds of sons of Amalek, Muslim Nazis, what do you think their judgment should be? So it is clear that we are really in Nazi times. And it really does bring associations of the Holocaust. This rhetoric and these deeds are now everywhere. Today, journalist and media host Yanan Magal, who was formerly a lawmaker in Naftali Bennett's Jewish home party and hosts a radio show with Ben Kasvit on centrist Mariv 103 FM radio, tweeted the same photo with a split screen featuring a 1967 photo of Palestinian prisoners, notably dressed and wrote that, quote, history repeats itself. He could do just as well have been using a 1948 Nakba photo, or, for that matter, a Holocaust photo. Magal just does not seem to get the irony. History, indeed, repeats itself. And just to tie it into our series, because we're kind of framing 1967 as that point in time where Zionism really jumps the shark. I mean, it was always founded in genocide, settler colonialism, abuse, and slaughter of Palestinians. But that's the point at which they start to expand and really feel themselves. And there's that right-wing revival. Not that the labor Zionists were any better on Palestinians anyway. But I don't know. Like, 
it's an apt photo that this guy posts, just not for the reasons he thinks. Yeah, it's as though that history, there's no actual learning or critical reflection on the trends and notion of history itself. I mean, that just gets back to the notion of the exceptional nature of one's own national project. He posts this photo, which the author calls ironic, not understanding the crimes and atrocities that are represented in both, because it represents the history of that nation, and that nation can do no wrong. Because they're the good guys. That's the propaganda. That's the exceptional history of this state of Israel. It's just incredible because these people ostensibly think of themselves as representing the truth in their history. It's depraved. Yesterday, Magal tweeted a photo of some of these naked boys and men as they sat on the raised street in Beit Lahai and seriously asked, quote, Why aren't there women in the photo? Oh my god. It's hard to even get around all the layers of perversion here. Earlier yesterday, Magal shared a video of Israeli soldiers in Gaza singing and dancing, and he typed the words of their genocidal song approvingly, quote, I have come to conquer Gaza and hit Hezbollah on the head and only adhere to one mitzvah to eradicate the seed of Amalek. I have left my house behind and will not return until victory. Everyone knows our slogan. There are no uninvolved. How do you repeat something like that and not understand the genocidal intent behind it and celebrate it? I mean, honestly, this is why at this point, when I see that, you know, another IDF captain or soldier has been killed in Gaza, I'm happy. Honestly, like it feels like, you know, when we say, oh, it's good that a Nazi got killed. That's what I feel like right now. Like, I, I know I'm not thinking about like the humanity of that individual, but like I if they're singing this song, I don't care. I don't care. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, at some point, these soldiers need to take self-responsibility. If they're living in such a great liberal democracy, they should have some right to protest, even as soldiers. Like, that's the no-sir mentality that was preventing Vietnam from being this great piece of propaganda in the United States when the veterans themselves were against the slaughter. Mm -hmm. And that... I'm not seeing much about that happening here. I hope it's out there. I hope there are factions of humanity within the IDF. I, I just, I, I haven't seen it. This appears to be a genocidal fascist force. And I, I celebrate the resistance to that. Full stop. Yeah. These are not just the chants of some kids on the hills. They are soldiers in Gaza. Same soldiers perpetuating this horrific genocide right in front of our eyes. Those cheerleading them in inexplicably genocidal terms are not just far-right fanatics either. This spirit is everywhere. I'm speaking to some fellow activists who find it really hard to cope with this. We can hardly follow the horrors, the rising death toll, while U.S. officials say that the Israeli assault might continue in its current mode until the end of January and then continue with a quote-unquote lower-intensity, hyper-localized strategy. How on earth can this genocide continue with the whole world watching, we ask ourselves? Well, the answer appears to be that it's continuing precisely because the whole world has chosen to watch it rather than stop it. This is on us all. 
Yeah, there's no excuses. Like I said, like we talked about off the top, people have been presented with this information in one form or the other. How are we going to act? I guess the only hope is that it's just a vocal minority that's still calling for this bloodletting. And I, I think that has to be the case. You can't seriously be behind indiscriminate mass death and claim to be part of some sort of liberal order. This is the liberal order. Right. You know, I mean, this is what we've talked about time and time again. And I know you know this, Levi, obviously, but like this, I think part of this realization is people need to fucking wake up and realize this is what liberalism is. This is the ugly face of liberalism that's always been there since its foundation. And it is, it's a vocal minority. And it's also the quiet minority that has all the power that is sending, that is continuing to profit off of sending the bombs without any restrictions from the U.S. to Israel right now. Netanyahu said it himself. He needs three things from the U.S. Bombs, bombs, bombs. Right. I mean, that's the insane part of it, is when you talk to these individuals, or at least the ones that I've spoken to, and they say that they can't have a ceasefire, and you say, why not? It's like, well, then Hamas is going to attack. They're not going to get anything. And when I'm speaking to them, I'm usually speaking to Jewish people that have some notion of history, and I ask them if they remember anything about the third or fourth Arab-Israeli wars. And I asked them if they remember what ended the fourth Arab-Israeli war. And it was the United States withholding ammunition so that they had to go to ceasefire talks. And people kind of have a, a, a memory of this because there's also this victimhood history in Israel where nobody's ever helped Israel, that people have been pushing them around. So this fits well into that, especially with Kissinger dying recently. So it's kind of fresh, actually, in people's memory. And when people hear that, they're reminded that the United States actually benefits from this bombs transfer agreement. And that's where the sort of bragging on liberals, they don't support, at least when you put it to them in certain ways, they don't support the unlimited spending on police and military. So why do they support it in the state of Israel? Like That's not the solution. They know it's not the solution. And they have historical memory of it working out another way when the United States took a more active stance in world geopolitics rather than just providing the bombs. I mean, there was a moment when the United States did something other than just manufacture for the oppression of others. I'm not saying that wasn't their aim. I'm not saying anything nice about Kissinger here. But at least there was some claim to have balance in geopolitics. It was at least a little bit more complex, even from just a real politic perspective, right? Now, I just don't know what it's doing. It's like the U.S. is in its own death spiral at yeah. an institutional level as well. Like, I know, I, don't ha- I know I'm asking like a lot of questions. I'm just like, I'm fucking exasperated by this today. I don't know. Like, it's just hit me like a ton of bricks and it's been hitting me. And I just feel like it's the culmination of things. Like, I, I don't know what to even say other than please go out and get organized to try to build something better. And like, you know what? It's not going to be just like voting, you know, a better congressperson in. We're far, far, far beyond that. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. This society, Israeli society is sick. This society, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know about society, but certainly our governmental system, our system of governance, our economic structure is sick to its core if this is all we can do in this moment i mean there's an ideological death spiral to fascist movements i mean that was the nazi solution as they were failing the invasion 
to Russia and saw the walls closing in, that's when the extermination in the death camps was raised to its highest, when they saw their own collapse on the horizon. That's just the way these governments function. It's an ideological purity because the actual progress of their base structure is seen to be failing. As this empire, as the American century closes, finally, there is no rudder to what's going on. There is no desire for stability because they see stability as leading to the downturn of the current century. So, of course, then the only alternative is to ramp up the death and destruction that's associated with that power because it's their only vestige left of that power. I mean, the phrase death cult gets thrown around regarding the U.S., regarding Israel, and it's apt. It fits. And of course, everyone else is always the enemy. It's, there's never any self-reflection. Or when the self-reflection occurs, it's so blinkered. So I think on that, we can move on to this Haaretz post. I don't think we need to read through it. It, it talks in circles. But it's titled, Hamas committed documented atrocities, but a few false stories feed the deniers. Subtitle, The extensive evidence of crimes against humanity committed by Hamas terrorists on October 7th should not be contaminated by unverified stories disseminated by Israeli search and rescue groups, army officers, and even Sarah Netanyahu. By Nir Hassan and Liza Rezovsky. Printed first December 4th in Hebrew, December 5th in English. And this caused a firestorm on the Israeli right. As we'll see, this is relatively tame and apologetic. So this article comes with a warning. There are accounts that some readers may find disturbing. Politicians, army officers, search and rescue volunteers, and social media activists have all provided testimonies about Hamas's atrocities on October 7th. Most are supported by extensive evidence, but a few have been proven untrue, providing ammunition to deniers of the historic massacre. And the historic massacre, uh, for context, I think they're referring to October 7th, not the actions since October 7th. I think we should be challenging off the bat, like even that most of these things happened or are supported by extensive evidence. I mean, most of what I've been seeing coming out has been just mountains of evidence disproving just about every accusation or at least providing additional context to stuff. Again, people died on October 7th. That happened. The resistance fought back. Shit does happen. Not going to lie. But like, again, this is going to like even apologize for, or not apologize, but again, run cover for a lot of things. As it dismisses some, it's still going to run cover for things like, again, like these ideas of mass rape, which I want to link a Mondo Weiss article, which kind of works through that claim with its own evidence. Um, So, again, like keep in mind that this article, and we can probably tell from the beginning, you know, the framing of Hamas terrorists, right, saying Mm -hmm. that there's still extensive evidence when, again, there's no links in this article to this supposed extensive evidence right i guess but what qualifies is social media activists getting on and making a tiktok in support of fucking genocide in palestine yeah just the, to break down even that one sentence so they lump together politicians army officers search and rescue and social media activists as you stated 
are most supported by extensive evidence, but few have been proven untrue. That's propaganda. That's not real. There's no way that can be real. How many online social media activists do you know that are going through extensive evidence before making their claims? So to say most would be more than half. That, that's just not possible. It's not real. And this is the paper of record. This is the left of center. This is Israel's New York Times. Right. Incredible. Members of Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, as well as other Gazans who entered Israel, committed war crimes and crimes against humanity. They viciously murdered about 1,200 people, most of them unarmed civilians. They abducted about 240 people, both civilians and soldiers, including women and children, even a baby. That number uh, 1,200's changed a lot since October 7th. I guess that's what they've landed on. Yeah, I think. Thought it went down to thousand too recently. I don't know. It's moving a lot and it's going down. And curiously, the numbers going down and the number of actual military personnel is going up as a proportion, at least in what I've seen and how this is kind of developing. Yeah, even if we use Haaretz as an example, their numbers have steadily been changing without commentary. The other thing I want to just add some context to is you know, abducted about 240 people. Why is the resistance abducting people? Could it possibly have to do with the fact that I think 8,000 Palestinians are held in Israeli prisons as essentially political prisoners and hostages of their own right? And that could have been the basis for a hostage exchange as the resistance has been calling for from the beginning to release these political prisoners that Israel is holding in horrifying conditions, which I'll link another article to as well, which works through that. In 972. Or even just to go back to that previous article we read, that quote-unquote Hamas roundup of men and children stripped naked in the sand. Those are hostages. Those are utterly innocent people abducted from a UN school and made into propaganda. The treatment of Palestinians in Israeli jails, utterly disgusting. I mean, it's, it's Abu Ghraib levels of torture and disgust and death and mass destruction. I mean, I saw a 13-year-old kid walk out with cat. No, he didn't. He walked out with broken hands. Because the fucking Israeli police or prison guards broke his hands and didn't treat him. He had to get treated after the fact. They broke a kid's fucking hands. And juxtapose that with how the, the images of the Hamas releasing prisoners on that prison exchange deal. Those people didn't come out with broken bones. The thing they had to fear the most were the indiscriminate carpet bombings. They were more afraid of the IDF than they were of their handlers. And you know what? I wonder because the bombing has, if this is even possible, seems to have actually increased in intensity and brutality. And it almost seems like another violent response to what was a PR disaster for Israel when that hostage exchange happened. I mean, again, just people can see with their own eyes. And make their own conclusions. I mean, it doesn't look good. Israel does not look like the good guy, even at that hostage exchange in isolation. No, but it's, it's an ideologically driven mission that they're on. Even if they see it failing, they feel like they need to execute it while they still have the control, the power over the levers to create the mass death, to create the genocide. There is no shaming an organization, a people, a person that believes that what they're doing 
is for the betterment of humanity, that they're eradicating a people to make a better planet. I mean, it's, it's utterly depraved Nazi thinking. Yeah, and also, you know, we, we search out some of this stuff. But if you're just a normal American watching the news, like I, I think I said to Nick this morning, I, I, my wife was watching like PBS and the BBC News Hour was on, and they were reporting from Gaza, which was better than not reporting there. And they were showing the, the destruction and everything. But like one thing that struck me was I don't know, it wasn't the same channel, but it was obviously the same like liberal Western media, right? They were reporting on Ukraine and the Russians had bombed some historic Christian church in Ukraine. And they were talking about it being like basically adjacent to a war crime that they would allow, that they would actually do this. The BBC was reporting on Israel bombing a historic mosque in Gaza. And it was just like, just said, just passed by it, just mentioned it and didn't comment on it at all. So it's, you know, you have to look at that at a critical eye as well. And I don't know that everybody does that. They're even bombing historic churches in Palestine. Not to say that one is better than the other, but... Yeah, even for like the Western audience. Yeah, you would think that there would be a reaction. It's just that the anti-Palestinian sentiment, the IDF channels, the propaganda is just that that much stronger. That they're not even reporting on it when it is something that they directly relate to materially in their life. The idea of a church being sacred. Yeah. I mean, the other justification I've heard in, in the Western media is, you know, when they talk about Hamas and when they talk about what they've done in the eyes of these people is their atrocities, right? And then when they talk about, and this might be like the more far-right bullshit I read, but when they talk about what Israel, what Israel is doing, it's just like, well, they're at war. In war, anything's justified. Like, that's how they mm-hmm. frame it. And it's, again, it's like the juxtaposition of like, Bad guys do this, it's bad. Good guys do it, it, everything's fine. And I'm obviously talking in their, from their point of view. Right, it's not torture if the good guys are doing it, it's enhanced interrogation. Right. So back to the Haaretz article. A variety of evidence is available on Hamas's cruelty, which includes the murder of parents in front of their children and children in front of their parents. There were sexual assaults, rapes, and mutilation, while some victims were bound and some of the dead were desecrated. Some homes were burned with the people still inside. None of this is in dispute, but some people have disseminated unverified information on the events that day. I'm fairly certain every single one of those statements is in dispute in instances where it's been reported, but... They are. Uh, And just real quick, I mean, some of those homes were bombed and burned by Israeli tanks, and that's not in dispute. No, that was actually reported by Haaretz as well. I don't know why that's not mentioned, but I suppose like any good paper of record, they have different levels of monsters on board. According to a reporter for I-24 News, an army commander told her that at least 40 babies had been killed, some of them beheaded. The channel said, quote, Reports of the atrocities and the estimated numbers are based on testimonies by officers who removed bodies from Gaza border communities. It said these accounts were collected during the IDF spokesperson's unit's tour for foreign correspondence four days into the war. The channel said, quote, Reports of the atrocities and the estimated numbers are based on testimonies by officers who removed bodies from Gaza border communities. The station added, Similar reports reported in testimonies by Zaka personnel 
Tzaka is the ultra-Orthodox Jewish organization whose members retrieve bodies after terror attack. Our correspondents brought in the voices from the field. We interviewed the officers and reported from the scene, surrounded by atrocities from the vicious attack. We always act to ensure the accuracy of the details and add clarifications and corrections, end quote. We craft the narrative. <laughs> we run it by the IDF officials before we print anything. The report above was later quoted on social media, often referenced as, quote, dozens of beheaded babies. Though sometimes it was, quote, burnt babies or, quote, hanged babies. For example, the foreign ministry published an account by Colonel Golan Vach from the Home Front Command, who said that in one house he found the bodies of eight burnt babies. The ex, formerly Twitter account, of the Prime Minister's office also referred to the murder of infants and showed very graphic pictures. According to the tweet, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu showed the pictures to U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Last week, Ashe Cohen, a journalist for the ultra-Orthodox website Ikar Hajbarat, interviewed Lieutenant Colonel Yaron Buskaila of the Israeli Defense Forces Gaza Division. Buskila talked about babies who had been hung on clotheslines. His remarks were cited by a host of Twitter personalities around the world. How is this not undermining the framing of this story itself? If high-level commanders, the prime minister, the secretary of state, are all intentionally citing and spreading around utterly fake stories. And you're inconsistent with your own reporting. Right. Haaretz is claiming that these are made up whole cloth, that there is nothing to back up these stories. Yet these are the things that you hear constantly people referencing. The dead babies is so consistently claimed. And it's a line straight from the IDF, from the organization which is providing almost all of the information on the ground to mainstream media sources. So this utterly undermines the entire structure of the propaganda development along this conflict. Do we think that the people that published this actually believe the framing or was the framing required in order to get it published? Yeah, I mean, this seems like the best that they could possibly do to get things published. I mean, I, I don't know. But regardless, it doesn't matter because this is, I think, the best you can get and it's awful. Right. Continuing on. Cohen wrote that he was later informed that the story was inaccurate and deleted the post. Quote, why would an army officer invent such a horrifying story? I was wrong, he added. This story was false, but Hamas terrorists did desecrate corpses during the massacre, especially the bodies of soldiers. There were also beheadings and cases of dismemberment. Okay, where? Yeah. Right. Tell me. I'm reading your article. No, they didn't uh, link that one there. According to sources, including Israel's National Insurance Institute, kibbutz leaders and the police, on October 7th, one baby was murdered. Ten-month-old Mila Cohen, she was killed with her father, Ochad, on kibbutz. Is that the same kibbutz that they found out that the Israeli military had opened fire on? or where? Kibbutz Berry? Or I don't know how you say that, but... Yeah, that is, uh, that is the kibbutz. According to sources, including Israel's National Insurance Institute, uh, she was killed with her father, Ohad, on Kibbutz Beri. So that was the one that Haaretz broke the story that a Israeli helicopter is what opened fire on that kibbutz. Oh, the tanks in crossfire, that was a different one? I think it's happened multiple times. I haven't been keeping up on exactly how the massacre has been 
executed by the IDF. I just know that they're behind most of it. Mm -hmm. In another incident, on the morning of October 7th, a heavily pregnant Bedouin woman was on her way to Soroka Medical Center in Berer Sherva because her contractions had begun. Terrorists shot her in the stomach. Later, hospital staff delivered the baby girl, who died a few hours later. According to the National Insurance Institute, five other children aged six or under were murdered, including Omer Deem Simon Tov II and his six-year-old twin sister, Abdel and Shahar, who were killed on kibbutz near Oz. There was also five-year-old Yazan Zakarai Abu Jama from Arara in southern Negev who was killed in a Hamas rocket strike. And five-year-old Itan Kapsherita, who was murdered with his parents and his eight-year-old sister, Aline, near Siderot. I mean, the death of any child is a tragedy. Absolutely. But I wonder if the names of the Palestinian children have ever been published in an Israeli newspaper. 7,000 name long list. They have every single one of those names they were reading them at the cop gathering because they weren't allowed to have an actual protest, but they were allowed to say the names of the dead. 14 children, aged 12 to 15, were killed in Israel in rocket strikes launched from Gaza, not at massacre sites in southern Israeli communities. Most of the other children who were murdered were killed in or near their homes, usually with other family members. There is no evidence that children from several families were murdered together rendering inaccurate Netanyahu's remark to U.S. President Joe Biden that Hamas terrorists, quote, took dozens of children, tied them up, burned them, and executed them. Still, there were many bound bodies. According to people from Zaka and another search and rescue organization, United Hazala, there were bound bodies, but the number is not known. Okay, trust us, bro. I mean, this article is like whiplash. It's like, oh, this is backed up. But this statement that they made on people that we usually quote, you know, in, uh, in confidence, that's not true, right? There's many bodies, but we don't know the number. What, 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 are, we, what are we talking about? Yeah, the structure of this article is just founding. I mean, you can really see why the Israeli right was infuriated by this article. But it, it's hardly what we need to see coming out of the Israeli left. I mean, who is reading this in Israel right now? Like the, the liberals? I get, like you said, it's the New York Times. So is that who's reading this? It would be the same population that would have been out protesting Netanyahu before October 7th. This would be their paper. So, I mean, this isn't challenging the fundamentals. I mean, like, there's no. still enough liberals for y'all to get mad and support the military. But, you know, we definitely got to get this Netanyahu guy out of there come, come next elections. Right. They support the center-right parties that aren't going to ally with the far-right parties, but are going to push the exact same actions and policy at a slower pace. I think that was more or less what we came up with when we were looking through the nature of these protests that were going on that had absolutely no Palestinian interest, say, or input. And there was no mystery whatsoever on our end why Palestinians had no interest in allying with an organization which would put out a piece like this. Where there are moments where it seems like they understand, but the connections just are never finished. There's no underlying critique of the structure of the occupation. 
It's merely looking at individual commanders and chastising them rather than understanding it as an issue with the IDF because of an occupation ideology. Yeah. So instead, they have to look at individual officers, individual people. Benjamin Netanyahu makes a great boogeyman. But none of these are solutions. None of these people can really be replaced with anybody any better. Maybe they'll just have better curated Twitter accounts. The left-wing fascists, I guess. That's putting it nicely. The IDF spokesperson's unit does not deny that Lieutenant Colonel Bushkila's remarks about babies strung up on clotheslines do not jive with reality. It said, quote, The officer serves as a reservist operations officer. He arrived at a large number of scenes after that attack and saw many difficult sites as part of his duties. The details of the incident will be clarified with the officer and it will be made clear to him that he should not describe events whose details are unclear and unofficial. So, I mean, again, am I supposed to have sympathy with this propagandist, this fucking liar? It's like, oh, you know, he faced some tragic stuff. You know, it's kind of understandable why he would make these mistakes. We've, you know, admonished him and corrected him. He won't do it again. Come on. I'm sure they'll have somebody else say it next time. They got to keep the uh, plausible deniability up. As for Colonel Vach's remarks on the bodies of eight burn babies, the IDF spokesperson's unit said he, quote, described difficult sites that he saw during his various missions evacuating bodies at the start of the war. The review was conducted in English, and the officer used the word babies to describe a number of children's bodies that were found. The error was made in good faith and does not mitigate the severity of the atrocities committed. Some of the incorrect descriptions were made by Zaka personnel. One reportedly talked about 20 bound and burned bodies of children at a kibbutz. He told Haaretz that these boys and girls between 10 and 15 found behind kibbutz Kafra Azah dining hall. Elsewhere, he said he saw 20 children from kibbutz Be'er laid next to each other and burned to death with their hands bound. This description does not conform to the list of the dead. The teenagers murdered on Kafar Azah were Yicha Kutz, 14, and his brother Yonatan, 16. His sister, Rotem, an 18-year-old soldier, was murdered with them. Nine minors were murdered at Be'er. At least some of them were with their parents and killed in their homes, so it is possible that 20 bodies were all in one place. Most of the murdered children were in the company of at least one parent, in or next to their homes. One case that sounds similar to the description by the Zaka member occurred not on Kafar Azah, but behind the dining hall at Be'er where dozens of Hamas terrorists held 15 Israelis in and around the house of Pesi Cohen in House 424 in the Ashlim neighborhood. 13 of the hostages were murdered, including the twins Yanni and Lael Hezavrani, 12. So again, Hamas is holding these people because, again, the description I heard about the reports around once it started coming out that Israelis actually killed people in the kibbutz was that Hamas was in the operation of taking hostages again in the context of this entire prisoner situation in Palestine. And then the IDF comes in with tanks, or I guess in another case, in the case of here, like you said, a helicopter, right? And that's when the bodies really started piling up. Again, I don't know that nobody was killed before that. I'm sure that's not the case, but where's the attribution again? Like they're not attributing Hamas to like they're saying murdered people right Mm -hmm. but like who did it a lot of this is just I think what we're getting at 
is trying to instigate a single day over and over again, in spite of all the lies that are around it and sort of pulling around the edges to make the argument that we got some things wrong. But the entire framing is still accurate somehow. Mm -hmm. Even though what's wrong appears to be piling up by the day or what's been admitted or what's been misunderstood. But there's still so much relying on the accuracy of the framing itself that no matter how many holes are drilled into the foundation of this October 7th occurrence, they still can't let it fall down. Yeah. And I think even when rereading the descriptions, which they go on to claim, you know, this wasn't true, they're still using all of the graphic language. And I do think, again, as they're iterating through this, it's still to maintain that impression to your point, right? That they're utilizing the same very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very insightful, like insightful and like the inspire you to action or rage mm-hmm. kind of sense. Because Very they visceral. still want the, yeah, visceral. That's a good word. Um, that's a better word than what I was using. But even in those descriptions, that language is still there. So again, that impression of people reading this probably in Israel still maintains that this was a horrifying event. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but the language is still important, I think, in this piece. No, it's still reinforcing I, notions. I think you're entirely correct, because the way that the article is framed, even just to go back to the title of the article, it's that Hamas committed documented atrocities, but a few false stories feed the deniers. Documented atrocities. So what they're documenting here are the atrocities which are not true, with the insinuation that many more atrocities of similar quality were true. So in continuing to repeat the lie, it provides cover for the fact that it has a propagandistic, emotional appeal. Mm -hmm. It's the sort of thing where, even if they didn't do these things, we knew they were capable of doing these things. It's not that we don't believe it was possible or likely, we just want to correct the record. Because that's sort of the liberal stance, right? Facts and figures. We don't want to make any false statements outright. You know, we want to be the people that were right all along. You know, it, it's just, it's hard to understand that sort of left of center, that sort of liberal mindset to proper way to commit an atrocity. <laughs> yeah. But that, that is, I think, what it is. They want it to be an accurate portrayal of the atrocity. Hey, we didn't lie about anything. Yeah, we we're committing a genocide, but, you know, we we're reported it accurately. And you know what? We self-reflected and we corrected some of the mistakes. But onward, onward in Gaza. Yeah, that's shoot and cry. Yeah. We want to feel bad. We want to know what really happened. We want to cry about it, but it still needed to happen. It's still an atrocity. We don't really want to dig any deeper than that. We don't want to fix the issues which caused any of these structural recurrences. Definitely. I don't know, boys. I probably need to hop off if I'm going to be on time for our uh, drinks, Levi. So I think we can wrap it up here. I mean, yeah, I mean, it just keeps going like this. It's <laughs> fake story after fake story claiming that there are accuracies to it that are unsighted. And then it moves on to the next one and says that the IDF official has been reprimanded. Which, of course, that's, that's really what we're demanding for with Black Lives Matter. We just want those police officers to say they're sorry and keep doing their jobs. I mean, I think it was still useful just to work through just even half of that article, just to show the failings of this. I mean, we need to combat liberalism here 
and in Israel. I mean, I don't know. It's just they're going to keep using the same playbook over and over again. I mean, we talked about it in our propaganda episode with Joe. We did a local forum on it here. But like, again, this is the definition of atrocity propaganda. Make a claim, act on it, retract later so you can feel good about your status as the paper of record. Fuck you. Fuck you. And make sure your retraction doesn't actually attack any of the foundations of what the claim was made to support. All right, yeah, I think we can leave it there. Um, Any final thoughts or words, boys? Get organized. We got to fight this. Yes, please. There's lots of organizations local to you doing the work. Get LinkedIn. They want you. And Palestine needs you. Free Palestine, y'all. Adios, paisanos.